Hello my friends, this is Nikki. Today we'll be talking about Zacharias's visit to Joseph and Mary uh, to see the newborn baby Jesus. He has come uh, at the summons of Mary who had sent a shepherd to inform him and Elizabeth that the birth of her child had occurred. And Joseph and Mary have since been moved out of the little cave where they had been staying where Jesus was born. And they are uh, renting a small room uh, in a landlady's house that the shepherds had uh, set up for them. So uh, Joseph arrives alone. Elizabeth couldn't come because uh, baby John, baby John the Baptist, was uh, teething and not, not well. Uh, but he arrives and he's greeted by Joseph. And he says to Joseph, The man you sent me told me that you were homeless when he the Lord was born. You must have suffered a lot. And Joseph says, yes, quite a lot. But our fears were greater than our discomfort. We were afraid the child's health might be injured, and we had to stay there for the first days. We lacked nothing for ourselves, because the shepherds gave the good news to the people of Bethlehem, and many of them brought us gifts. But we had no house, not even a decent room, a bed. And Jesus cried so much, particularly at night, because the wind was blowing in from all directions. I used to light a little fire, only a little one, because the smoke made Jesus cough, and it was still cold in any case. Two animals do not give out much heat, especially when the cold air comes from all directions. We had no warm water to wash him, nor dry clothes to change him. Yes, he suffered quite a lot, and Mary suffered seeing him suffer and I suffered, so you can imagine his mother's anguish. She fed him with milk and tears, milk and love. Now here it is much better. I had made for him such a comfortable cradle, and Mary had fitted it with a soft little mattress, but it is in Nazareth. Ah, if he were born there, it would have been different. And Zacharias says, But Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. It was prophesied. Mary comes in. She is all dressed in white wool. She is holding Jesus in her arms. He is sleeping, sated with milk, in his pure white swaddling clothes. Zacharias stands up reverently and bows down in veneration. He then goes nearer and looks at Jesus with the greatest respect. He bends down, not so much to see him better, as to pay him homage. Mary offers the child to him, and Zacharias takes him with such adoration that he seems to be holding up a monstrance. So, for those who don't know what a monstrance is, a monstrance is a receptacle that holds the consecrated Eucharistic host, which is the body of Christ, and we consume the body of Christ during Holy Communion. Holy Communion, or the Holy Eucharist, was instituted by the Lord Jesus during the Last Supper, where he broke bread and offered it to his apostles, and he said, Take this bread, it is my body. And he drank wine and offered it to his apostles, and he said, Drink this wine, it is my blood. So this is sacrament of Holy Communion. So uh, back to Zacharias. He is holding Jesus in his arms. It is in fact the host that he takes in his hands, the host already offered and that will be sacrificed after being given to men as a nourishment of love and redemption. Zacharias hands Jesus back to Mary. 
They all sit down and Zacharias explains to Mary uh, why Elizabeth couldn't come and he tells her that Elizabeth has sent her uh, many linens that she prepared for Mary's son Jesus and sent food and bread and and you can see that with love she's repaying the the charity that Mary offered Elizabeth when Elizabeth was expecting and Mary came and helped her and spent many weeks with her preparing clothing and and helping her out with um, household chores and tending to her and to John when he was born and with love Elizabeth sends back uh, linens that she's prepared for Jesus to wear and food that she's prepared um, for Mary and Joseph to eat. You can see that in the act of charity one kindness leads to another. He thanks Zacharias and says she wishes she could have seen Elizabeth and he says, well, you will come and see us in the spring. And Joseph says, no, Nazareth is too far away. And now Zacharias says, Nazareth, but you must stay here. The Messiah must grow up in Bethlehem. It is David's town. The Most High, through Caesar's will, brought him to the town in David's land, the Holy Land of Judea. Why take Jesus to Nazareth? You know in what opinion the Jews hold the Nazarenes. This child is to be, in future years, the savior of his people. The capital town must not scorn its king, because he comes from a despised land. You know as well as I do how captious the Sanhedrin is, and how disdainful its three main castes are. And then here, near me, I will be able to help you somehow, and put everything I have, not so much in the way of material things, but of moral gifts, at the service of this newborn baby." And when he is old enough to understand, I will be very happy to be his teacher, as I will be for my own son, so that later, when he is grown up, he will bless me. We must consider that he is destined for great things, and consequently he must be in a position to present himself to the world with all the necessary means to win his game. He will certainly possess wisdom, but also the simple fact that he was educated by a priest will make him more agreeable to the difficult Pharisees and scribes, and will render his mission easier. Mary looks at Joseph, and Joseph looks at Mary. Mary says, But how can we do this? We have left everything there in Nazareth. Joseph had worked so hard for my Jesus, without sparing labor or money. He worked at night so that during the day he could work for other people and thus earn enough to buy the best wood, the softest wool, the finest linen, and prepare everything for Jesus. He built beehives, and he even worked as a mason to make certain modifications in the house so that the cradle could be placed in my room and remain there until Jesus had grown up, and the cradle could then be replaced by a bed, because Jesus will stay with me until he is an adolescent. Joseph can go and get what you left there, says Zacharias. And where will we put it? says Mary. You know, Zacharias, that we are poor. We have only our work and our home, and they both enable us to live without starving. But here, perhaps we will find some work, but we will always have the problem of a house. This good woman cannot give us hospitality forever, and I cannot sacrifice Joseph more than he has already sacrificed himself for my sake. Oh, me, says Joseph, it's nothing for me. I am concerned with Mary's grief her grief in not living in her own house. Two big tears well from Mary's eyes. 
I think that house must be as dear to her as paradise, because of the mystery which was accomplished in it. I speak little, but I understand a lot, says Joseph. If it wasn't for that, I would not be upset. I will work twice as much, that is all. I am young and strong enough to work twice as much as I used to, and see to everything. And if Mary does not suffer too much, and if you say that we must do so, well, here I am, I will do whatever you think is best, provided that it will help Jesus. It certainly will help, says Zacharias. But it is also said that the Messiah will be called Nazarene, objects Mary. True, says Zacharias, but at least until he is grown up, let him grow up in Judea. The prophet says, and you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, will be the greatest, because out of you will come the Savior. He does not speak of Nazareth. Perhaps that title was given to him for some reason unknown to us, but this is his land. So you say, priest, says Mary, and we, we listen to you with sad hearts, and we believe you. But how painful it is! When shall I see that house where I became a mother? says Mary, weeping silently. Now the Virgin Mary speaks to us, and she says, I want to show you Joseph's holiness. He was a man, that is, he had no other help for his spirit except his holiness. I had all the gifts of God in my condition of immaculate. I did not know I was such, but the gifts were active in my soul and gave me spiritual strength. But he was not immaculate. Humanity was in him with all its heavy weight, and he had to rise towards perfection with all that burden at the cost of continuous efforts of all his faculties to reach perfection and be agreeable to God. O oh, my holy spouse, holy in everything, also in the most humble things in life, holy for his angelical chastity, holy for his human honesty, holy for his patience, his activity, for his constant serenity, for his modesty, for everything. Joseph's holiness shines also in this event. A priest says to him, You ought to settle here, and he replies, fully aware of the greater hardships he would have to face, It is nothing for me. I am concerned with Mary's grief. If it was not for that, I would not be upset, provided that it will help Jesus. Jesus, Mary, his angelical loves. My holy spouse loved nothing else on earth, and he sacrificed himself to that love. They elected him protector of Christian families, of workers, and many other categories, but he should be appointed protector not only of dying people, of married couples, of workmen, but also of those consecrated to God. Who, of all the people in the world, consecrated to the service of God, has consecrated himself, as Joseph did, to the service of his God, accepting everything, foregoing everything, bearing everything, fulfilling everything, with quickness, with a cheerful mind, a constant humor. There is no one like him. And I wish to draw your attention to another point, nay, two points. Zacharias is a priest, Joseph is not. But you must note how he, who is not a priest, has a more heavenly soul than the priest. Zacharias thinks in a human way, and in a human way he expounds the scriptures because he allows himself to be led by his good human sense, and it is not the first time he does so. 
and he was punished for it. But he relapses, although less gravely. With regard to John's birth, he said, How can that happen if I am old and my wife is barren? Now, he says, to smooth his way, Christ is to be brought up here. And with that subtle root of pride that persists also in the best people, he thinks that he can be useful to Jesus. Not useful in the sense that Joseph wanted to be, by serving him, but by teaching him. God forgave him because of his good intention, but did the Master need teachers? I endeavored to make him see the truth of the prophecies, but he felt he was more learned than I was, and made use of such feeling in his own way. I could have insisted and outdone him, but this is the other point I wanted to draw your attention to. I respected the priest because of his dignity, not because of his knowledge. In general, a priest is always enlightened by God. I said in general. He is enlightened when he is a real priest. It is not his robe that consecrates him. It is his soul. To judge whether one is a real priest, one must consider what comes out of his soul. As my Jesus said, the things that sanctify or contaminate come out from the soul, and they characterize the whole behavior of a person. So when one is a real priest, he is generally inspired by God. We must have a supernatural charity and pray for the others who are not such. As you know, we obeyed, and we did well. It is true that Herod confined the slaughter of the children to Bethlehem and its surroundings, but could Satan not have spread and propagated such hatred much farther and wider, and have induced all the mighty ones in Palestine to commit a similar crime in order to kill the future king of the Jews? He could have done that, and it would have happened in Christ's early days, when the repeated miracles had drawn the attention of both the crowds and of those in power. If such an event had taken place, how could we have crossed the whole of Palestine to go from Nazareth to Egypt, the hospitable land for persecuted Jews, and make such a journey with a little child, and while persecution was raging? It was easier to flee from Bethlehem, even if the flight was equally painful. Obedience always saves you. Remember that and respect for a priest is always a sign of a Christian education. Woe to those priests who lose their apostolic ardor. Also Jesus said that, but woe also to those who think that they are right in despising them. Because they consecrate and hand out the true bread that descends from heaven, and that contact makes them holy, just like a sacred chalice, even if they are not totally holy, they will answer to God for it. We must consider them as such and not worry about anything else. You must not be more strict than your Lord Jesus, who, at their command, leaves heaven and descends to be raised by their hands. You must learn from him, and if they are blind, if they are deaf, if their souls are paralyzed and their thoughts are unsound, if they are lepers full of faults in strong contrast with their mission, if they are like corpses in sepulchres, then call Jesus that he may heal them and revive them. Call Jesus with your prayers and your suffering, O victim souls. To save a soul is to predestine one's own soul to heaven, but to save the soul of a priest is to save a large number of souls, because every holy priest is a net 
that drags souls to God, and to save a priest, that is to sanctify, re-sanctify, is to create this mystical net. Each prey is a light to be added to your eternal crown. Go in peace. So let me just say that Mary is talking now about how not all priests are holy, or as holy as they should be, or as pure as they should be, and we all know this. Uh, there's a bit too much humanity in many of our priests, but she asks us not to abandon them, but to pray for them. And she asks us not to abandon the right of receiving Holy Communion, even if we have doubts about our priests. She says that Jesus descends from heaven and enters into the Holy Communion, enters into the bread and into the wine that is consecrated, that is the Eucharist, and that we must continue to go to church and receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, and we must pray for those who are faulty, including ourselves, and pray for the priests, and, and also that we must participate in the act of Holy Communion, because it is a gift given to us by Jesus himself to make himself a part of us and to make ourselves a part of him. I also want to say that this reading today came from the poem of the man-god, Maria Valtorta, Volume 1, and thank you very much for listening.